The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 154. I hope that you're doing very well today. If you do happen to be struggling with OCD or anxiety, you can actually get a free session with me. To get that, all you need to do is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com and there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the free session. In today's podcast, I interview the amazing Sega Lane, or Sego for short. Uh, Sego is a performer, uh, a voice and language coach and energy therapist. She's taken uh, what she's learned from wellness, coaching and performance to help fuel expression, release stress and stagnant emotions and to bring creatives of all realms to find their voice in life and in art. I think you'll find it's a really uh, interesting conversation. We, we spend quite a bit of time on um, how to manage anxiety in stressful situations. Obviously, with Sego being a performer in various different disciplines, she has a lot of experience of uh, managing anxiety under stress. And so she shares a lot of tips for, for how to do that, how to, um, how to remain calm, for example, when you're uh, you know, doing uh, presentations or public speaking. And we also talk about uh, the importance of, of self-compassion and how to bounce back from difficult uh, circumstances and setbacks, something that is certainly very important when you're learning to get over OCD. Um, I really hope that you, you find it a helpful uh, conversation. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about Sego, you can find her on Instagram at the um, Artful Athlete. Or you can check out her website, um, again, the theartfulathlete.co.uk. Uh, she also has um, a podcast, which, uh, you know, and you may have guessed, is entitled The Artful Athlete. <laughs> so there we go, guys. I really hope that you find it helpful. And uh, as always, if you have any questions, then do please let me know. Many thanks. Hi, Sego. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you on. So to start off, could you just tell us a little bit um, about yourself, please? Oh, gosh. Uh, this is a box, too, <laughs> with all the surprises. Like, what are you? It's just so many things. Um, I am a voice, breath and language coach. I help people open up vocally so that they can find balance in life and in art. I help creatives get comfortable with their medium of expression so that, yeah, they can express themselves truly in the art form that they've chosen, be it writing, singing, cooking, whatever your creative outlet is. And I also help people release stress and trapped emotions using energetic um, therapy and healing. 
Fantastic. This is uh, a really nice uh, selection of things that you you focus on there. So why did you <laughs> why did you decide to um, to get into coaching and, and this kind of sphere? What what were what's your background uh, before that? Because you used to be uh, an actress um, initially. No, that was your kind of first uh, your kind of career choice um, that you really kind of started out with. So that was what I really wanted to do. And I still am. <laughs> I still am a performer. And um, and I've just branched out a lot because, oh, gosh, um, how did I go into coaching? I think coaching ended up choosing me. Coaching found me. I when I was my first ever business, I was a language teacher. So on top of going to school, I'd be then going to pupil homes and helping them enhance their levels of German and English and also helping with after-school works. I studied languages and worked as a teacher uh, for some time alongside my studies while still performing uh, for a decent amount of years. And I then chased journalism because I, the way I had understood things was that I would not be able to be a performer if I didn't have another backup, if I didn't have, quote unquote, a real job, because this was also the limiting belief that had been fed and is still being fed to plenty of people and creatives. Don't go live your dream, kids. It's dangerous for you. Get a real job. <laughs> um, so I trained for real jobs. I applied to journalism schools in France. Um, they're a bit like your, we have a, something similar to your Oxbridge system, but we've got a lot more of them scattered around the country and they call themselves great schools, which they are to some extent. Uh, they all turned me down from you. So basically you have to take a tour of the country and you go to each school. There's a thousand of you in a room and they only take 29 or 30 at the end. You know, it was that type of, of situation. There was one in Lille, and I think they only took 15 people, and we were 800 in the room taking the test. Wow, wow. So didn't make it, and I remember very vividly, because I was in Germany at the time, crying in my bed, and I texted my mom just to say, I've got nothing. And she called me, listened to me crying, and asked me what was going on in my head and I just said it means I'm an idiot it means I'm stupid and she rightly so put me back <laughs> where I belonged um just being no it doesn't mean you're an idiot just think about the system think about you've put yourself through for the past year and this is what you are this is what you've been able to accomplish so far so if these are not the homes for you there's going to be another one and there was I applied for Cardiff to do journalism and uh, they said yes kind of last minute because communication mishaps happened so on the Wednesday I got called to say hey if you're in on Friday you're good to go so I moved to Wales on a Thursday night <laughs> and started there the following morning I worked as a freelance journalist I worked as a freelance PR consultant and communication consultant as well and one thing leading to the next, I landed in London um, in a drama school that I had always eventually dreamed of going to. And coming out of that, I mostly focused on 
making a living because London was London and I'd just finished studying and student debt was very much on my mind. And I worked front of house at the National Theatre for a while. And one day I got an email from the voice department from the lovely Jeanette Nelson because she had been told I spoke French and German very fluently and wanted to see if I'd be okay teaching someone how to pronounce it for stage. And she's like, yeah, it makes no difference to me because I'm as a linguist, I've grown really familiar with how the voice and the, the lips, the teeth, the tongue, all of mm. that sound making thing works. And I had never considered this a career coaching at all. And a lot of the time when you're teaching people how to pronounce something, the first thing you need to do is telling them that you're not going to be perfect and it's great because I'm not trying to make you sound like a perfect French person or a perfect German speaking um, person. I just want you to realize what you've got and how we can play with it. And as soon as you bring the funk back into things, the fear of failing, the fear of not being able to achieve a certain standard of perfection goes out the window because that's also what it is. Perfection is this thing that we should always reach for, but there's not really a parameter that defines perfection. Yeah, if you go mm. into math, you've got the golden number, and but it's mathematical. And even then, that is something that was defined by a person. Yeah, yeah. It's not something that, it's not your level of perfection. You know, if you've delivered something well, when you feel good about it. And that is what you should refer to always. So that's what I used. And then it just expanded into confidence coaching and finding your voice from within. I had someone coming to me for that. Um, she knew I did language, but she wanted to grow confident as a speaker. I said, well, I've never officially done it. So you'd be my first if you're happy with that. I said, yeah. And it went well. So then I just sort of carried on. Yeah, that's fantastic. It really kind of leads into my next question as well, um, you know, which is um, with performance, um, you know, wh whether that's within public speaking or acting or singing or all of these things, you know, when we're under a certain amount of pressure to, to perform, um, you know, it can be incredibly hard dealing with this stuff. I know myself when I was growing up, I really struggled with public speaking. Um, it was something I absolutely dreaded. And, um, you know, I, for a long time, even throughout university, you know, every time I had to stand up in front of people, it was a struggle fest. <laughs> and I never, during that, that period of time, I never was able to actually relax into the process and allow myself a bit of space, you know, a bit of time to enjoy it. Um, because, you know, ultimately, I think what you're just saying there is, if you can find your rhythm, you know, and, and your whatever it is that gets you going within, you know, within that um, artistic performance, even if it's just public speaking, then you can enjoy that process. You can, you can make the, the most of it. And rather than it being a horrendous experience, it may still be nerve wracking, but, but it can actually be a positive experience. 
is, nerves is, is, are always going to be there yeah nerves are always going to be there i still get <laughs> nervous for so many things um i get most nervous for the 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 smaller gigs the the more intimate type of space because when you have a lot of people in front of you yeah it's a lot of people but the lights make it so that you don't really see the audience as much you can get a, you're aware of their energy and their presence but it's there's something that's very protective that's my experience of it anyway whereas when you are in a smaller space and there's a smaller audience and they're closer to you you I find it even more vulnerable I'm still protected because there's lighting and there's character and it's not me it's it's the story of someone else I'm just here to help deliver it but yeah these are the ones that give me the nerves but the nerves are here to because you care mm. that's the thing if you're getting yeah. nervous about something it means you care if 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 one day i stop being nervous i will have a strong word with i will need to have a strong word with myself just yeah. because i it's it's something you can tap into because it's it's like um, a congealed ball of energy that's roughly around your solar plexus area or in the pit of your stomach. Mm. And so when you're projecting vocally, you're using your core a lot in mm. order to support the voice so that you're not, you know, going voiceless after a few minutes. Uh, because when you inhale, your breath comes in, diaphragm comes down and you, your air column goes all the way down really to the, to the end of your torso. So it travels around that stomach area mm. so being able to remember that i am in charge so i'm the one that controls the fuel that comes in so my breath and air comes in past the nose and all the way down i'm using it to send an anchor or to just i'm a very visual person i think being able to imagine what goes on in your body with colors and objects is something that can really help you push through so if you imagine you have a ball of energy where that tension is you're like okay and when i'm going to inhale i'm going to fuel it i'm going to make that ball get bigger and on my exhale whether it's just air coming out or whether it's words coming out i demand that this little fizzy thing releases that energy into my words because then your voice is connecting and you can easily reach to people the more you get comfortable with that, the easier it is for you to then grab people's attention. And then it's a matter of tweaking a couple of things here and there on a physical level. So making sure you have a decent amount of eye contact without being scary um, or invasive, getting comfortable with your body. It's just coming back to the body because anxiety in performance, it's because you're trapped in your head. So if you leave the head and come into your shoulder, See how the shoulder feels. Come into your opposite hip. How does that hip feel? Go into your feet. They're literally your roots and you've got your toes. Wiggle them in your shoes or, or push them. Literally press your toes lightly into the floor. And because you're thinking about that, you're not thinking about the words coming out. And you're telling the mind to, you're shutting it off. You're shutting it off. You're leaving the abstract and coming into the physical realm. Mm. And that's what people need to do and have forgotten to do so much we were talking before this interview about social media and screens and stuff 
this is a massively contributing factor. We're losing the connection to ourselves. And then when it comes to public speaking and performance, because we're so used to not be in front of people and we're struggling to connect. And even pre-screens, if you had, if you have um, performance anxiety or public speaking anxiety, it's because you're thinking too much about what the other person is going to say. But it's you presenting. You're in charge. It's a great moment. You're the boss. As long as you bring fun back in, make it fun for you. Make it fun for you. If you're having fun, you're going to contaminate someone with that joy. And that's the one thing that I really want people to remember. If you bring your funk, people will tag along. If you're focusing too much on oh, the structure or like, oh, my voice, I don't like it. You're, you're just being yourself. You're sharing a bit of you. It's something that's both really intimate and very generous at the same time. Mm. It's an opportunity to share your energy. Absolutely. So no, it's fantastic advice. First. It's really good advice. Yeah, I, I 100% uh, agree. And I wish I'd, I'd kind of had that advice more when I was younger. <clears throat> Unfortunately, that information about that kind of thing you know, 10, 15 years ago, there wasn't as much out there. You know, mindfulness was still becoming a thing. Um, and it wasn't really, uh, you know, that information wasn't available. Um, so yeah, so grounding yourself in and like uh, anchoring yourself in the present, trying to connect with the body, um, enjoying the process, um, connecting with people. Great. They're all fantastic ideas. And uh, I know for a fact that they work. What about um, beforehand? Because um, in my experience, often it's the kind of beforehand, you know, that is the worst time when you really get onto the stage and you're doing whatever you need to do. Oftentimes after the first kind of minute or so, you can kind of calm down a little bit sometimes. But it's before, and we can, if we're not careful, we can really wind ourselves up. What can we do beforehand to try and help us, do you think, in, in that situation? Um, this is connected, so bear with me on this. There's a book that came out, I believe it was in 2020, before World Ending. And it's a photographer who was backstage for loads of different performances across London and the UK and he just took pictures of actors in the wings of what they were doing before coming on stage and it's wonderful because in these pictures I saw what I've seen for years in the wings people just taking a moment for themselves to tune in to the task at hand to tune in to the energy in the room tune in to the voice of the characters because you haven't you know even when you're preparing a speech outside of the acting realm you have taken time and energy you've connected to emotions in order to put them to paper to then deliver it to someone else so taking a moment for yourself selfishly to just be like this is what i've done so far this is what i've explored and it's the same like in character studies, you start off with your idea of the character, your first read, 
And by the end of the process, when you're ready to go on stage, you've actually met a real person. You yourself have gone on a journey and made a friend or an enemy um, or just someone you're like, oh, okay, I see you. Um, and that's it. And when you write something that you're going to present, you go on a similar journey, but you go meet a part of yourself. I know for myself when I'm about to go perform something or even before I record my own podcasts, I take a moment to just plant myself either standing tall like a tree or sitting or lying down even. And I just take a couple of breaths and think about what has led me to this moment. And there's a bucket loads of gratitude in my case. Um, I have a friend who before each show, he has to go on a run. So he goes for a run um, across you know, the back of the stage because you're not allowed back outside at this point because people are in the audience. But he goes for a run and it's, he told me one day this way, I'm out of my mind and into the moment. Mm. And it's very true. Having taken up running over the past few years, it's a moment where same, I, I, I'm out of my head and into the journey, into the action, the thought of the moment, the feeling, the clouds or whatever. So when you're about to present something, it's, it's connecting to something similar, giving yourself thank for what you've achieved, what you've struggled with, maybe. I know there's been characters that have been extremely challenging, um, emotionally speaking. And even in that moment, just being able to be like, you know what, I'm glad I've explored this part because it's not something I would have gotten otherwise had I not committed to this experience. Um, when I, I was in a, in a performance in June, June, July, and because of the restriction, um, we didn't even know if we were going to be able to make it all the way to the end. And when finally <laughs> we got to the performance before each show, the, the other actresses and I, we just had a silent moment in the wings. And it was just like, I'm so thankful to be able to present this story to you I'm so thankful to be able to take you on this emotional journey and I'm so thankful for myself to have come to this moment mm. to have done everything that I was meant to do to get there if that makes sense that's really interesting so effectively using gratitude that sounds wrong isn't it using gratitude but <laughs> <laughs> you can use gratitude as long as you don't abuse don't abuse gratitude, make use. <laughs> exactly. Making use of gratitude in a, in, a, in a way to kind of anchor you in the present um, is something that actually I encourage people to do when they're really struggling anyway with, you know, mental ruminations. Because if we try to push away those ruminations or we get angry with them, you know, it generally just makes them worse. However, if we can actually... Um, allow and even even say thank you to the rumination we begin to to change the experience of it and of course it becomes a lot easier to to accept um, and you're absolutely spot on because you know the more that we can be in the present during that that lead up stage the better off we're going to be like I really liked what you were saying about trying to tune into the audience you know like beforehand 
you know, and try to just, you know, get if there's jokes being made in in by other people who are speaking beforehand or, you know, during a theatre performance or whatever, you know, tune into that. So you're you're in that energy already. So when you come onto the stage, you're you're ready to go. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said. Because each people are, uh, people are different. And when they're in groups, you've got very different vibes. If you, you know, walk into a restaurant, if you go from one restaurant to another within the same evening, you won't have the same energy. You won't have the same vibe. It's the same when an audience comes in, be it for a theatrical purpose, entertainment purpose, or, or something else like a conference. Maybe people are, it's early in the morning. Maybe people are sleepy. Maybe, you know, that just, you can hear people whispering. Maybe people are being loud. Listen, just literally closing your eyes for a second. And it's an exercise I make a lot of people do because you can't be a good speaker if you're not a good listener. You can't be a good speaker if you're not a good listener. And hearing and listening are two very different beasts. I can hear my neighbors arguing every so often. I can hear the washing machine when I'm in my room because walls echo stuff. That doesn't mean I'm listening to it. Listening, I am committing to what is being spoken to me right now. And when you're in a room, you don't have to be in a room. Do this exercise outside first. If you take a moment, an excuse to go out, there you go, sit on a bench or stand somewhere and close your eyes, remove your headphones and focus on the sounds around you and then just follow one at a time. So if I'm sat in a park on a bench, maybe I hear the beginning of a conversation as two people walk past me and then that conversation fades off. That's one sound, but the, there's still wind in the trees the ducks are still somewhere doing their thing. Maybe there's a dog that's barking. Maybe there's the sound of um, like a skateboard on, on concrete. Follow one sound at a time. Just placing your focus, a car in the distance. And it's the same then when you come into the room. Just listening to, okay, are people chewing gum? Is there popcorn? Uh, is there laughter? Is there yawning? Listen to the sounds present. It's tuning in to what's going on but it's also an exercise for anchoring and grounding because mm. the mind otherwise is constantly speeding up in one direction or focusing too much on what's already happened mm. but there's Absolutely. lots of stuff happening in the moment if you yeah. listen to it yeah fantastic um i wanted to speak to you about breath work because obviously um you know you you know uh, a lot about breath work different approaches um we've talked about the wim hof method and you know, my my interest in in breath work is pretty much focused on that. Uh, you have lots of different experiences with with breath work. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Absolutely. Um, I did not connect breathing for well being, breathing for working out, and breathing for speaking until a few years ago, which sounds potentially silly said like that. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, huh. That, that that did not make sense. Surely it should have clicked earlier. But no, it did not. As a performer, you the I started very young. I started training at six years old and I was working professionally whilst I was going to school, working with a, a company that was uh, on in a theatre on the outskirts of Paris, near where I grew up. And you needed breath in order to carry your voice on stage. You needed breath in order to 
get through that speech, get through that song, manage to sing and dance at the same time because sometimes that happened. And that made sense. But when it came to doing like sports at school, PE, breathing, somehow not an option, just could not, it did not compute in my head that I could be mm. using similar techniques. Yeah. And it, giving a presentation at school, eh, no biggie. Trying to relax when I was getting stressed because of exam or whatever. Even then, uh, did not compute that I knew all of the relaxation exercises from having done them to prepare the performance. Yeah. It's, it took a lot of experience to realize that everything was actually connected mm. and that whether you're choosing mouth breathing or nose breathing, there's a scientific part for that, for sure. Um, and having discovered uh, Patrick McCown's The Oxygen Advantage about a year ago now I'm really thankful because running wise it's helped me incredibly like I just oh my god I can breathe and run and I love it it's so good you do uh you do nasal breathing when you're when you're running yeah only nasal breathing and then every so often when I feel that it's getting too tight then exhaling with the mouth seeing if it wants to come in through the mouth or the nose I don't I let it do its thing and now, 90% of the time, if I've had um, a mouth release, then it's straight away afterwards, it's back in through the nose. Okay. So it's, uh, it's interesting because with breath, you have so many different routes. And in, on social media, there's always someone telling you you should only do mouth breathing for this and only doing nose breathing for that. And I love it. And at the same time, I hate it because it really depends on your body your instrument how what level you're at because somebody who's um i do not know the word in english oh english failing bipisil uh, meaning you're not getting as much oxygen in um then mouth breathing and nose breathing could both be problematic because it's not necessarily a breath issue more a opening issue mm. and in that case you need to work on that first my, I discovered Wim Hof after my burnout. I, in 2018, I signed up to the event because the place that was hosting the event had a slide to go from the first floor to the ground floor. And that's literally- I mean, why else would you want to go to a Wim Hof event? <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, the place looked nice, but it had a slide. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was just, you're going to be in a ton of ice. Yeah, sure. I'll go do that. That's fine. It's got a slide. I'm okay with it. And I, I've, I've used cold water and cold exposure over the years um, for health reasons. So I just thought, oh, it's going to be pushing it one step further. Great. And we did 45 minutes of breath work beforehand and then got into the ice bath and Wim Hof person was, had a very loud beaming voice and was right behind me and was just saying, exhale, exhale, every time people were freaking out. Right. Being in the ice. It yeah. was, yeah, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah, I found the video on my phone. <laughs> I found the video on the, on, on my phone the other day. I was just like, yeah, yeah. But that's true because people were freezing up. And then when you freeze, you try to inhale more than you exhale. Mm. so because we were quite we were a very big group um 
you know, it was just like reminding people to breathe out because especially same if you have anxiety or panic attacks, mm. you're constantly inhaling. Well, you have this thing cold shock where, yeah. where you literally, you know, it's your, your body's natural reaction to, to that situation is to start hyperventilating and yeah. Uh, yeah. And taking control of the breath in that extreme situation is, you know, is part of the process of, of, you know, regaining control un under, under duress or under panic, you know, is something that can actually be really, really helpful. But if people aren't supported through the process enough, it can actually backfire and, and absolutely you know, and, and be a problem instead. Absolutely. I, yeah. I realized on that day that what I thought I knew about breath, um, I just, I just knew nothing. I just felt like I knew nothing because mm. I, long story short, had an accident when I was younger and I, in, in the process, I got punched in the plexus. And since that time, I'd be getting quite regularly a breathing spasm. So the way it would kind of manifest itself is I'd inhale, but then the diaphragm would get stuck and I'm trapped between exhaling and inhaling and just can't do anything, but had so had to manually press on the diaphragm each time to make it relax. Um, and after that event, I didn't get... And I, I went into cold showers almost instantly after that, thinking, OK, there's something in there and reading into Wim Hof and practicing the bow breathing and everything. And it made me stop have these spasms for a few months. And I was just like, yeah, I, uh, I got to learn. I got to learn a lot. And went digging, went digging. I did a lot of work with uh, Richie not Richie Norton, even though I really enjoyed his book. Bostock, Richie Bostock. I've got his book right behind me, so I totally cheated. Um, excellent book called Exhale, which he released uh, last year, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And did then started combining these type of breathworks with my own performance practice. And I was training in calisthenics at the time, so then used some of these exercises in intense positions like your hollow hold or your planks um even on the rings then keeping my motto of when it comes to speech one thought one breath one movement one breath which is something that yogis already do so then when i fell into yoga which is i felt right at home <laughs> yeah yeah because you just need to see what you need the most at the moment and play around with things and in then in in helping people release emotions and release stress, going back to the breath is something that can feel both that can seem incredibly easy. Let's put it that way, because it is you're just inhaling, exhaling. You do that on the daily. It just comes and goes. We store so much emotions in the body on the daily. We store so many memories. It's about connecting to that body part that feels tight and sending the air there originally. And you have that in yoga practices. And you have some people that leave, for example, hip, hip release sessions in tears because of everything that was built up in there. And it's mm. interesting because hips, um, in from an energetic point of view, the hips can be seen as the seat. So where the brethren, where the brotherhood 
where the sisterhood, where everything is connected. It's the root of yourself, your being. And when we try to move, we're not, well, let's rephrase this. When we're not sure in which direction we're meant to go, or we're hesitating between two things and we feel kind of trapped, locked, you get trapped, you get tension in the hips, which is basically your mental vision of I can't move I'm paralyzed and you know you're still going out doing your food shopping or going on a walk or whatever but there is this tension that will lock itself exactly there a lot of people who have fears of you know not having enough uh fear of losing money fear of losing someone of just this fear of lack the lower back is where it's going to manifest itself the most people with a lot of lower back pain and, you know, go to physios and stuff. Yeah, no, you just need a bit of, there's a bit of muscle, muscular tension, but if it's constantly coming back, what if there's something underneath mm. something that then we can go investigate energetically speaking? Absolutely. Yeah. And using the breath then to evacuate that emotion in a very safe place. So allowing yourself to really go into the body to then, guide whatever you're not needing right now out and fill it back in with a vision a hope a new belief which then you're going to feed daily like gratitude like being happy that today there's a little bit of blue sky even though it was raining <laughs> absolutely yeah i think um you know energy blocks and uh you know, it's, um, this is definitely a problem. I mean, we could spend hours talking about that, but uh, there's definitely a lot to it. The body keeps the score and uh, learning these different approaches, yoga, obviously being one of the, one of the, one of the obvious ones, but there's so many uh, different uh, practices that we can use to help us to, to let go of, you know, maybe traumatic events that we're still holding on to energetically and, you know, exploring that and finding finding the option that works for you the best is definitely uh, definitely a Absolutely. good idea. Yeah, if you're working through something. One thing I will say, um, as a language person, watch the words, watch the thoughts, watch the words you use when you talk about something, and watch the thoughts that come through, because these are charged energetically and emotionally speaking. But also that means that in your reptilian brain, so we're going towards a very scientific path now. Reptilian brain is your fight or flight. It's the most ancient part of your body. And it's the ones with all the programs. When you've experienced a form of trauma or when you repeat a pattern or just constantly get trapped with an emotion, there are words associated with it. And these were remembered by the reptilian brain because you get roughly on average like 60,000 thoughts a day, which I found out uh, not too long ago, which is a lot. <laughs> but imagine how many of these thoughts are actually programs which are running in the background and you're not aware of it. So that will fuel the anxiety or fuel the negative energy or the negative emotion the next time you see something that triggers it. And I use, I'm using the word trigger a little bit loosely here because it, you may not end up on your knees and crying and everything. It might just be something really small. And the way that your reptilian brain works to create those programs is that in that moment, you held your breath. 
for like, even if it's half a second, you held your breath and then the brain went fight or flight. Okay, must remember in that situation, let's always think this. This is what happens. Mm. So being able to then use your own breath to release the language that you have without knowing, and there's no shame, there's no judging here. It, we're all human and it just happens. Okay, we're just working with it. In that moment, you, by acknowledging what's present, linguistically speaking, you are also opening the door for you to release it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is so, uh, it's, it's so important because, um, you know, so, so many people struggle with stuff and are looking at traditional pro- um, approaches for, for healing. Um, you know, like, uh, like therapy, traditional therapy, um psychoanalytical approaches and you know they're just not getting they spend years in therapy and perhaps on some level it's helpful but in terms of really getting at the root cause of problems and some of these kind of blockages that that we're talking about it's not able to to reach that reptilian part of the brain it's not able to get down there into the nervous system. And I really think, I mean, before I was doing the Wim Hof method, you know, like four years ago, I don't think I would be uh, willing or even able to have this conversation. Now with my experiences with the Wim Hof method, I know that when I do this breath work, you know, there's, there's things happening. Sometimes stuff comes up and it's coming up from somewhere very deep. You know, it's a very deep experience. And I often have this feeling of, you know, energy vibrations in the body. It's so strong. You, you know, you feel it so intensely. Um, there's, there's a lot to it. It's, it's certainly something that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward actually to exploring more in the future. Um, because I know it's had the Wim Hof method. I just did a my previous podcast was was about it. I was speaking more about the the cold uh, in this episode and acceptance, but you know the breath work has been is profound as well in in different ways, and it allows us to tap into the autonomic nervous system to voluntarily influence it and have all these positive effects. And so you know it's a it's a really interesting area to to discuss. It very much is. It's all about vibration and the body. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'd like to ask you a little bit um, before we kind of finish up about about, um, bouncing back from adversity because you've had um, numerous kind of challenges uh, in your life, um, even some quite recently. And obviously, you know, rather than giving in or getting frustrated, you've taken those experiences in the best possible way and you've learned from them and you seem to be uh you know full of life full of energy and uh you know taking on new challenges and new projects how do you go about um you know bouncing back because i i really think that in when when taking on a challenge such as trying to deal with OCD and overcoming OCD, getting to a place where you manage it, unfortunately, the process involves improvements and setbacks. 
And it's very much like this. It's not a linear straight line of improvement. From your experiences, do you have any advice for people to, to deal with kind of setbacks? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that's been the most helpful, obviously having a support system um, when something goes wrong, being able to have someone to talk to, um, even if, and then, you know, it puts pressure potentially on the person who's listening to you, but for people who are there for other people, just remember sometimes just being in the same room or being on the other side of the phone and just listening is so helpful. It's, you know, in that moment, as someone who's struggling, you know, you're not alone. Um, this summer, <laughs> this summer took a turn for me. <laughs> um, I've, I've had a few health issues over the past years, not few years, but like, while I've, I've had different things i've been half paralyzed uh, from the neck down i've lost my eyesight temporarily which was a freaky thing um we've got genetics stuff going on in my family so i'm always quite careful with anti-inflammation um stuff and making sure uh, my fingers and my toes are always covered um but this summer it took a turn because it went to attack a part of who I am. Um, I ended up seeing a doctor. I'd gone into for some pain in a tooth and I thought it was just my wisdom teeth coming out um, because I'd not really had anything, any symptoms of anything else that would have made me worried. And I saw someone who forgot how to be human that day, which can happen. And only two people knew I was going to the dentist at that point because they both literally tried to call me <laughs> before going into the before I went into this so I said oh, you know, call me back in 20 minutes it'll be fine I was not fine <laughs> I was um I started crying in the room and then I was sat outside on a step and just sobbing my heart out to two of my friends um who handled it like champs they they're the best because they didn't try to make me see the positive light of things they were just there and they were listening. And I didn't get a real diagnostic for another month where I finally went to see a specialist. Well, I went to see a specialist and that was her first, um, her first availability was a month after the event. And the person I'd seen that day was like, don't see a specialist, you will waste your money. I did not waste my money. I got a real diagnostic. Um, I have what is called general periodontal illness. And the reason I had been in pain was because the bone in my jaw had uh, started self-destroying and there was basically a gap um, in the jaw. So I'm really lucky because I found someone who took, took the time to explain everything that was going on and guided me to the right people. So I'm recovering from jaw surgery, guided bone reconstruction um, surgery. And it's funny that it should be happening because for the past year and a bit, I've really focused on with the people I was working with on jaw release, on <laughs> releasing tension in the jaw. So it kind of felt, ha, this is a interesting turn of event. And I crashed in August after seeing that doctor who basically told me I'd be losing all of my teeth within 10 years and kind of tried to blame me for poor hygiene. And I was like, I floss, I TP, I scrape my tongue every morning. 
<laughs> I use everything because mm. <laughs> my voice and my ability to speak is it's it's literally who I am it's my identity I cannot be quiet that's one thing my friend said when she picked me up she was with me with the uh, to get the surgery and we we're on the way out and after the surgery I was still talking <laughs> she was messaging our group friend being like I thought I was promised silence um, <laughs> and it was not happening <laughs> then I fell asleep so then I got silent but I took the time to not be well I this summer I took I had two weeks of 10 days of uh feeling physically really really poorly because I he put me on the medication which then I found out he shouldn't have given me because of my my blood stuff and everything so I was like mm, great I felt like crap for 10 days thank you but it was also a process it's like mourning it's the same when you get a bad news when you know you've applied for something and you didn't get it you had hopes and dreams and you were looking forward to something. And I feel a lot of the time in the way that we experience sadness when there's something big going on, we don't actually take the time to mourn it. We just get sad. But sadness is a cue here to then work through it, to be like, okay, so there's a phase where you're going to feel like a slug. Uh, I spent a lot of time just lying down on the couch and playing video games that would make me happy, that would help me uh, feel a bit less sad. Um, I walked some days, not every day, and that's okay. It very much like it's, it's a loss. Everything is a loss. It's all about loss. And when, especially when you get a diagnostic with something, because then there's the I thought I was Sigolène, this person that, you know, everybody wants to work with vocally or like wants to have at a party for whatever reason. I thought I was just being me. And then all of a sudden, this feels like it's get, it gets taken away from you. You know, we were talking about labeling before this, this, um, this recording. And there's a lot of that, especially with illnesses of any kind, be it the mental, the physical, um, taking a moment to mourn who you were means that then you get ready to welcome the new. It's very much a winter and spring type of um, type of vision. You have to have winter in order for spring to grow and for summer to come. Mm. And it's very much that as well emotionally when it comes to dealing with hardship and failure and I've had my fair share of failure. If you've not failed in life, I, A, I, wow, impressive. But also, have you missed out on some learnings? Mm. Because failing is a, it's a Craig Ferguson quote. Wow. Failing, uh, failure is a necessity on the way to success. Absolutely. And feeling yeah. like a failure, feeling like you're just at the lowest of lows can be also the most beautiful moment for something new to grow. But you need to take the time to mourn and accept and look at every aspect of why you're feeling the way you are right now. Um, be it, is it because somebody put a label on you and told you this was going to happen? Is it because there's an impending doom? There's a time ticking. And then taking that moment to let the emotion pass because this too shall pass. And then once you're on the other side or close to the other side, 
looking at where, in which direction your sun is rising. And okay, which direction is hope? Because we all need it. <laughs> I don't care what some people have said um, in the news not too long ago. Hope is something that will get you through. If Absolutely. you can latch on to that, and if someone can give that to you or something can give that to you. And my hope was seeing, having someone, a specialist telling me there's a treatment, there's something. Every time I failed, uh, be it from a business point of view, uh, a personal point of view, there was something else. There was something else. It's not easy to swallow as far as, you know, different pills and Smarties go. Do you have Smarties in the UK? I'm not sure. Um, we do, yeah. But, oh, you do? Yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> could be Smarties or whatever else. I don't, I don't even eat that thing. It's, yeah, just came up. So French. Um, it, it has a flavor that it does. Then it's your job to eat something that's nicer afterwards, you mm. know? Yeah. And if it takes six months to find that flavor, it takes six months to find that flavor. If it takes a year, it takes a year. It takes two days, it takes two days. It's, yeah, I think that's kind of the best way I can, I can. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's really good. Yeah. And then accept it. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. And um, just the, the last question then, if you could only give uh, one piece of advice to, to people who might be struggling with, you know, with anxiety, OCD, these kinds of problems, what would your piece of advice be? Bring the funk into the body, two in one, haha. Come back to the body <laughs> and bring joy back in. Even if it's, you know, a friend is calling it store-bought joy. Whenever he goes and he, he likes that very specific orange juice. And he's like, store-bought joy, I'll be fine. Okay. But it can also mean, um, and I may or may not do this regularly, and I may or may not advise people to do it, but put your headphones on with your favorite tune on blast close your bedroom door and have that moment where you have the biggest boogie with yourself. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's great advice. Sometimes no it's just choice. what you need to do. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes <laughs> you need to cry. Sometimes you just need uh, to pretend that you're part of Bon Jovi. Yeah. The ultimate way to get back in your body. No? <laughs> bon Jovi. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Sego. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking to you. If people want to get in touch with you, what can they, what can they do? Um, you can find me on uh, le social media, like uh, pretty much everyone else, at The Artful Athlete or at Sego, S-E-G-O, the S-C-H. And my website is theartfulathlete.co.uk. Fantastic. Thank you very much. It's been, uh, it's been great. Thank you, Rob. Just a quick reminder that if you want to get a free session, all you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. And there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the uh, free session. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional.